You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. I invite you to pick out your scriptures and head to Romans chapter 8 once again. And uh, I thought of this, of a, you think about being at a hotel and sometimes the checkout's at maybe 10, but usually 11. Usually, if we don't have somewhere to go, we're going to call for a late checkout. Usually, that's just the standard operating. And uh, this Romans 8, we could take probably a year on, I think. So I'm asking for a bit of a late checkout in terms of we're just going to look at three verses really today. And just to really take our time and savor what is in this chapter. So it might feel like slow going. Hopefully it's slow, worshipful, God glorifying going. But that's what we're looking at in Romans 8. And on your way there, I've got a picture. I don't get one from, I don't think the nodes are with us here today. But if you're watching Justin, I don't often get a picture from Justin. So I appreciate it when I do. But Justin gave me this picture of David and the giant and Goliath and that God who took care of that giant. That is the God that we behold, the God that came to earth as a baby, and the God who saves us, and the God whom we serve, and the God who's given us, who dwells within us by his Spirit. So thank you, Justin, for that picture. So let's look at God's Word. We come to verses 12 through 14 in Romans chapter 8. Let's listen to what God says here. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let's pray again. Lord, as we come to these few verses in your scriptures and look at the context and think through them, again, Lord, I'm just asking for your spirit to, the spirit that dwells within, to work amongst us, to understand what is before us. And in that understanding that we wouldn't come out again with just pure knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but heart change and a desire to know you, the Holy One, the one who dwells within and the one who calls us to a a holy calling. Lord, would you just help our time together to glorify you, guide my words and what comes out of my mouth to be glorifying to you and what we, how we listen, even help those that are listening. Maybe some are quite tired this morning. It was a long night or they're coming for various reasons. Lord, may you just, by your ordaining, you've ordained each one to be here. And we just pray that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in these few short verses, it didn't take a long time to read through them. But Paul sets a task before every believer, every one in these short verses. It's, it's a present task. It's a daily task. It's a task that after one day, if you're a believer in Christ, after one day you can't say, well, got that done, got that finished. It won't be finished until either you go home to be with the Lord through death or He returns for you, and it's a task that involves violence of a certain sort. It is a task for every believer. But that task, it's also a task 
which every believer is equipped and supplied and strengthened and led because it's a task that can only be done by the Spirit of God dwelling within. Of course, the task here for you who believe in Christ is to this put to death the sinful deeds of the body. We're going to head into our text and look at that. We're just going to start in verse 12 and begin to think about this task as we are debtors or under obligations. Look at verse 12 again where Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. All right, verse 12 here, as we come in, obviously we're in, we're in context and it's tied really directly to what has come before it, where we've already been in these past few weeks. You see at the beginning of the sentence, you've got a You've got to so then, at least in the ESV, he says it that way. Or another way would be to say as a, as a result or consequently or as a consequence. So there are those living according to the flesh. We saw that verse 4 and then really looked at that in verses 5 through 8, in the flesh. And then there's those who are in the Spirit, verses 9 through 11. And, and so in verse 9, Paul emphatically stated uh, there, he said, you all, you all are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You see it there in verse 9. We looked at that last week. So who you are is going to determine what you do. Or if you put that in reverse, your actions are going to demonstrate your true identity. John Owen has written this. He says, the fruit follows the nature of the tree. And there is no way to change the nature of the fruit but by changing the nature of the tree. And so the reality for the believer is this, what we looked at last week, this indwelling of the Spirit of God, this new nature, new creation. And so then what does this new reality, what does this look like? And Paul would say here, it looks like obligation. It looks like being a debtor, as the ESV puts it. Now, this is obviously this is not monetary, going into monetary debt, but it's more an obligation. I think even within this idea of debt or obligation, there's a tie to our desires and what we, what we want. Think about debt in this. Sometimes it would just think maybe in negative ways, which Paul is going to look at here with the flesh, but there's also a positive way. Many of us are in debt. We're in debt in order to own a home. Now, in some ways, that's negative because you've got to pay your mortgage bill, so it's negative to be in debt. But you are glad to live in your house, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume there's a bit of, not gladness to pay your mortgage bill, okay? But there's a joy in your obligation for this mortgage because you get to live in a house, and hopefully you like the house that you live in and God's provided. Or, or you're under obligation to your employer, and you might struggle with your job, but you generally you want to obligate or be in debt to your employer. You want to obligate yourself to that job. There's, there's joy in doing the work, whatever it is, in the varied ways you all work and do your, practice your skills and your gifts, as Dave was talking about. There's a joy in that. And there's a joy in providing for your family. So it seems here in this, this obligation or this debt, there's a wanting, there's a desiring in terms of this, this being debtors or under this obligation. Now, Paul's about to imply something positive about being debtors or under obligation. But as Paul goes, his train of thought leaves for a moment and then really goes on to, this, to saying we are debtors, but not to the flesh. 
Okay, so not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. John Murray here defines flesh as the complex of sinful desire. What is flesh here? The complex of sinful desire, motive, affection, here and there once, propension, that's an older word, I'm not sure, but principle, purpose. So what does Paul mean by saying we are debtors but not to the flesh? And he explains it. He really... It's explanatory. The next line, we're debtors not to the flesh, not to live. What I mean is to live according to the flesh. That's kind of this last little clause there of that first sentence. That's what I mean. I mean, we're not dead to the flesh to live according to it. And to live according, one definition would be to live is to conduct oneself in a pattern of behavior. This is the, this is the walking, how you conduct yourself, how you behave in a way and we've already seen in this section, walking according to the flesh. In verses 5 through 8, Paul's explained here that those who are of the flesh, they have a mind set not on God, but a mind set on the flesh. It's a mind at enmity with God. We saw, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are not able to please God. That's this living according to the flesh. And yet in verses 9 through 11 then, again, we're going back, holding on to these as we come into verse 12, there's a massive change, a, a, a raise to life, a resurrection to life type of change here. Paul says we're no longer debtors to the flesh. We don't have to live that way. Those in the Spirit have been given life through Him who dwells within you because of Christ. Christ is the way, the familiar verse. He's the truth. He's the life that is in us. We'll look at that more in a bit, but in this first part of verse 13, Paul makes this statement on the flesh. Look at the first part. Again, it's kind of a reiteration here. Again, he says, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And this idea of this living and behaving and conducting oneself according to the flesh, it's repeated. But this kind of living, this living according to the flesh, is actually a dying. And it's that's the second part of this if-then statement. If you live according to the flesh, then you could put in parentheses the word then. So if that's the case, then you will die. That's what Paul says. The, the phrase has a sense of the, the word of inevitability. I mean, if, if you live according to the flesh, your destiny, or it's inevitable that you will die. It's a little different than the verb at the end of verse 13 where we're going to say you will live. It's a little different verbal that's being used there. And we've seen this before. Sin in the flesh merits or earns death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Or even prior to that, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. There's this connection, the flesh, living, and death. Which got me thinking about some of the the Greek word of of death here. um, Has that word of thanos in it, or thanatos, I think is the, the, or apothanaskane is the Greek word. And I was thinking of, 
the Marvel movies, which I hesitate a little bit to bring up because I don't know that I'm recommending all of them or if you ought to, use your discretion. But in one of them, one of the biggest bad guys, if you're into those movies, his name is Thanos, the big, the big guy that wants the glove with all the, the jewels, whatever they're called. You know the name of it. You're, you're, you're into that. Um, Thanos comes from the Greek. Now, Thanos might mean like someone that's Im- immortal, like will not die, might come from that. But there's also a Greek word, again, that I reference to here that Paul uses when he says you will die. It's this apothenase kind, and you don't need to know that other than there's a noun of it that's thanotos. Thon- you kind of hear in those thanos, you think of death. And there's a line in that movie, this is why I, all that came in, there's a line where Thanos says, you remember his line, I am inevitable? That kind of just came to my mind, looking through this, that this is death. As in the movie, he's inevitable, he's this bad guy. But death for us, for those in the flesh, it is inevitable. It's certain to happen. It's, it's unavoidable. And it's the destiny of all who live according to the flesh. But in all this, remember, Paul's, Paul's saying, he's saying you're, you're not obligated or in debt to live this way. So look at the, the other part of verse 13 here. You've got, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And I think in a way that encompasses verses 5 through 8 there, the mind set on the flesh is death. And so we see death all over the place with flesh. But the second part of verse thing, 13, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, before we look at the idea of putting to death the deeds of the body, we want to look at that. There's an implication here. If, if we are not debtors to the flesh, then the implication is that we are debtors or we're under obligation to live according to the Spirit. Paul's kind of back on track. We're not debtors to the flesh, but we're debtors to live according to the Spirit. Again, there's no, I think I've said this before, Others have said this, there's no neutral ground between the one who lives in the flesh and the one who lives by the Spirit. It's, it's, it's one or the other. You're in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. Now, being in the Spirit, we might have times where the flesh and there's that waging war going on, but I think here the distinction is you're in the flesh, death, you're in the Spirit, there's life. Look at that a little more as we go here. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been bought with the blood of Christ. And he says there, so glorify God in your your body. And so our obligations come not out of what we once were, but what we are now. We're under obligation to live according to the Spirit within. And we might ask here, now we're under debt, we're under obligation. Aren't we, aren't we free? I mean, this, this debtor language, obligation, kind of sounds, sounds oppressive, like, like bondage-like. And one other illustration just came to my mind. I'm, I'm no doctor, but just looking up, confirm. How does, how do we, what, what's the function of the brain? brain's got to have oxygen. Oxygen's delivered to the brain by blood and how does the blood get there and how does the oxygen we've got lungs and there's hearts hearts there's one heart i know that two lungs yeah but you get what i'm saying all these all these whatever other organs are doing this they're all functioning to get this oxygen up 
here and right now. I'm glad it's here because I'm able to talk and think and all that. But you take that away and over time, for me, probably 30 seconds or a minute, things start to fade away. It, the brain needs that oxygen. So you could say our lungs, our heart is, for our illustration with this obligation and debt, the lungs and the heart, they're obligated, they're in debt to the, the head, the brain. But the lungs don't say, they don't say, I'm, I'm an independent organ, I've been working all year long, it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to take a day off. Maybe some, that's a, that's a medical condition, that happens. But for one, we would say lungs don't talk. But secondly, lungs have a God-given purpose. The, the lung does not exist for itself. In fact, the very life of the lung depends on it working and being connected to the head and the oxygen, and so things keep working. And I think we see this here in our obligation to the Spirit. Yes, we have been set free from serving and being enslaved to the flesh. We've been set free from enmity and hostility toward God. But what are we set free to do? What is the, what's the goal of that? And it's the goal of God, His worship and His glory. It's to know our God, to enjoy Him. In your presence are joys forever. It's to live for God. It's, this is not a debt or an obligation as in something we don't want. It's, it's that our wanting, even our very wanting, has been renewed by the Spirit to want this new life, to want God. Verse 5, Romans 8 said, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then the call is to live according to that Spirit. Or as Paul says in verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, the call here is this idea of putting the deeds of the body to death. Uh, the King James, the idea is, to, you've got it in there if you're using a King James, to mortify our deeds of the body. It's that idea, if you've ever heard of the mortification of sin. And I think John Owen is connected even to that and writing on that. He's got a famous quote. It says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And this is that idea of putting sin to death, of killing it. It's violent, isn't it? Jesus, what would Jesus call it? He would call it cutting off your right hand if it causes you to sin. Or your foot, or plucking out your eye. It's it's this, is he really saying take out, he's saying deal, remember, deal seriously with sin. Paul would say here as well, in line with that, put it to death, mortify it, kill it. Lest you be, as Jesus says, lest with two hands, two feet, and two eyes you be thrown into hell. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That's the once, that's the flesh. But now, Paul says, verse 8 of Colossians 3, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its 
practices. You are in the Spirit, in Christ, this new creation. Put it off. Put it to death. I read a little bit of John Owen on this subject. And uh, it's in a book. It's called The Holy Spirit, but I think it's... Ain't, uh, oh, he's probably from... I'm going to get this wrong. 1500s, 1600s. Again, old dead guys are good to quote from. Um, he's a really good one. Some of his writing's hard but encourage you, find a John Owen book. I think it's worth the effort to read. But he talks about in there this mortification, this mortifying, this call to put to death our sinful deeds. One thing he points out, number one, is that this call to put these sinful deeds to death, this call in and of itself, it implies the very real fact that indeed no one is perfected in holiness. We were talking about holiness in Sunday school class this morning. Just the call of put to death has that implication, you've not arrived. Continue. Presently. Keep going. Tomorrow. Oh, you, you got it? No day off. Keep going. Putting to death. It's that constant. No one's perfected. It's a present call as you go. But then why does Paul allude here to this, this mortification, this killing, this, this putting to death? There's a violent ways to think about it. And Owen, he answers in this in three ways. Why mortification? Why killing? He says, number one, to summarize, he says, sin is alive. He says, because sin, having a powerful and constant inclination and working actually towards all evil is said to live or to have a life of its own, therefore, the opposition that is made to it for its ruin and destruction is called mortification or killing. Sin is alive. You must go put it to death. It's not the rule it once was. Put it to death. Number two, to summarize, he'd say, why mortification, why killing? He says, violent, because violence is necessary. He says, because of the violence that is necessary, though we must wrestle with principalities and powers in our conflict with temptations, yet in this conflict which we have with ourselves, which is holy within us, There is more of fighting, wounding, captivating, and crying out for help. It's necessary. You hear this? It's not just kind of deal lightly, if you can, when you think about it, maybe for a couple minutes. It's not the flavor here. And then the goal. Why modification? Number three, Owen says the goal, because the end designed in this duty is destruction, as it is in all killing. The design of this duty is the utter ruin, destruction, and gradual annihilation of all that remains of this cursed life of sin. And he offers this illustration, and I think it's really helpful for us. He says, let no man think to kill sin with a few gently strokes. That's an old way of saying it, isn't it? A few gentle strokes. I just get rid of sin in in a light, kind of gentle way. He says, He who has once smitten a serpent, think about killing a snake, right? He who has once smitten a serpent, if he follow not his blow till it be slain, may repent that ever he began the quarrel. I love that. And so will he who undertakes to deal with sin. Owen's saying, if you're going to start, you deal with that. You don't do a little bit and... If you go in lightly, it's you're going to re- saying you're going to repent. You ever started it, 
so will be he who undertakes to deal with sin. If he pursue it not constantly to death, sin will revive and the man must die. It's the call of dealing with sin severely. And yet we do not do this alone. I hope you hear the call. Deal with it. Put it to death. But notice the words, this important prepositional phrase, how? How do you put to death where it says, Paul says, by the Spirit you put to death. It's not an independent work. It's one or one which we're, we're doing all. It's the Spirit that is doing within. Again, Owen, he says, we must consider the way and manner in which mortification of sin is affected. Now the Holy Spirit is the author of this work in us so that, that though it is our duty... Okay, get that? It is our duty. Go do this. It is His grace whereby it is performed. And part of this renewal work we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit call here is to put sin to death, to kill off those sinful deeds. Be hard at this work, and it is God who is working within you. Praise the Lord. We're not on our own, and this is of God. And so, in doing this, Paul's last little phrase, at least in verse 13, is you will live. Now, I don't think this is live in terms of some new way of meriting and earning our salvation. The fact is, within every true and normal believer, as we talked in Sunday school, resides the Spirit of Christ. That's verses 9 through 11. And the Spirit is not just hanging out, just kind of holding on till, till we go to be with the Lord. The Spirit is active. He's at work. He's transforming us to be like Christ and to glorifying with our lives. And so if the Spirit be not in us, we will die. Paul affirms, though, in Romans 6, we, we have died to sin, those that are Christ. We've died to its rule in our life. John Murray writes, he says, The believer's once-for-all death to the law and to sin does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin in his members. It makes it necessary and possible for him to do so. In fact, verse 14 speaks into that, this truth here. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I debated kind of whether, where do you put 14? Does it go with 15 and beyond? Because it's starting to talk about adoption as sons. We cry, Abba, Father. Do you connect it to 12 and 13? I, I think you could probably go either way here, but in the context here of putting sin to death, and then that of being led by the Spirit, I think it seems to match up at least as you kind of go and look at Galatians 5, we see it there. Do you want to look at it? Let's go. We haven't gone much. Let's go to Galatians 5. Come to Ephesians, right before Ephesians, if that's where you find yourself. Just a little past Corinthians here, Galatians 5. Let's look at verses 16 and 18, just so you see this here. It 
See if you hear similar wording. Paul says here, but I say walk by the Spirit. We've, we've seen this before. We looked here, right, haven't we? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Thus, those led by the Spirit are those who are, they are not under the law. They are those who will, who will walk by the Spirit. And, and those that can take comfort that they are sons of God. Now, hang out in Galatians just a bit, because those led by the Spirit, Paul says they are. There's a being here. You are. You're led by the Spirit. That means you are sons of God. Not little gods, sons, children of God. And grammatically here, just real quickly, back in our passage in Romans, the Greek here, John Murray points out, there's emphasis. There's an emphasis and has the force of these and no other are sons of God. Those led by the Spirit, these and no other, they are sons of God. Now, if you're still in Galatians, which I turn back, I'll come back to Galatians again. If you're there, look at Galatians 4 then. Just hop back a little bit. We'll make use of our turning to Galatians here. Verse, chapter 4, verse 4. We're bringing kind of this, this time of Jesus' incarnation that we're celebrating and looking forward to. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, puts it this way. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. To live by the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit, is to be born again. A born-again Son of God. As we think about Romans 8 then, and you can turn back there, and we think about these verses there's a twofold call, I think, coming out of this today. Number one, hopefully you hear in this, you must, O believer in Christ, you say, I am a Christian, you must put to death the deeds of your body. That is sin. Take it seriously. It's a fight. It's not a little skirmish. Be killing sin. Hear that. And then number two, all the glory in your killing of sin goes to God who has is at work within you to do this by His Spirit. I want to close, and I'm going to close our time just by reading a, a short devotional by Charles Spurgeon. If you've ever heard of Morning and Evening, and Spurgeon, there's, you can read Morning Devotionals, Evening. You can get them online. Another, another old dead guy from, the, I think, the 1800s, late 1800s. But he wrote this regarding Ephesians 4.30 and the idea of, of not grieving the Holy Spirit, but I think it fits with this call to holiness, and yet by the Spirit put to death, mortify, kill these deeds of the body, kill your sin. He says this, All that the believer has must come from Christ, but it comes solely through the channel of the Spirit of grace. Moreover, as all blessings thus flow to you through the Holy Spirit, so also no good thing can come out of you in holy thought, devout worship, or gracious act 
apart from the sanctifying operation of the same Spirit. Even if the good seed be sown in you, yet it lies dormant, except he worketh in you to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Do you desire to speak for Jesus? How can you unless the Holy Ghost touch your tongue? Do you desire to pray? Alas, what dull work it is, unless the Spirit makes intercession for you. Do you desire to subdue sin? Would you be holy? Would you imitate your Master following Christ? Do you desire to rise to superlative heights of spirituality? Are you wanting to be made like the angels of God, full of zeal and order for the Master's cause? You cannot without the Spirit. Without me, you can do nothing. O branch of the vine, thou canst have no fruit without the sap. O child of God, thou hast no life within thee apart from the life which God gives thee through His Spirit. Then, now we're back, then let us not grieve Him or provoke Him to anger by our sin. Let us not quench Him in one of His faintest motions in our soul. Let us foster every suggestion and be ready to obey every prompting. If the Holy Spirit be indeed so mighty, let us attempt nothing without Him. Let us begin no project and carry on no enterprise and conclude no transaction without imploring His blessing. Let us do Him the due homage of feeling our entire weakness apart from Him and then depending alone upon Him. Let's pray. Lord, it is by grace that we have been saved. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which you have prepared for us to do. Thank you, Lord, for the call here. The call to kill sin. May we be a body of believers that are not half-hearted about this call. May we be putting to death, mortifying, working at it. And may we be encouraging one another when we're faint and we want to just kind of deal lightly with the serpent. Would we encourage one another, deal with that sin, deal with it, brother and sister. So help us, Lord. And then we thank you for the promise, even in this passage, even in the putting to death, the promise that this comes not from us, but by your Spirit within. You've not left us alone. You've given us what we need. May we not waste it. May we not grieve your Spirit. May you lead us minute by minute, Lord. Little sins that have hung on. Little sins that nobody else sees in our lives. Help us to put them to death this week and next week until we are transformed into eternity to always be with you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 